Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me today. It's the 31st of October. We're at the end of the month and it's also the deadline day for the 2021 Formula One regulations to be um, set into concrete, into stone, whatever you want to say about it. Today's the day. Whether they're going to be made public or not is another question. Um, Immediately, we're going to probably follow that one up next week if when we know more but um yeah you know it's going to be a pretty significant thing you know once these regulations are set in stone we kind of have a clearer understanding of what the future holds for the sport you know we've still got next year to go so you know 2021 we've all got our eyes uh and he is firmly fixed on uh 2021 and seeing what formula one holds in store so yeah that's that's that part (laughs) out of the way straight away um but it's really been as the title suggests a fiesta of racing the last few you know the last weekend this weekend um heading from the mexico grand prix last time out to to texas and to austin which i'm sure is going to be a favorite of many um definitely on the bucket list for myself not only just for the Grand Prix but for Austin itself and how um, fascinating it is as a, as a place from what everything I've heard and you know what let's just throw it in there the the barbecue side of things as well um, is enough to draw me to Austin alone so <laughs> with that all established let's get straight to it so we're going to talk about Mexico what happened there bit of a preview for for texas this weekend and then of course um supercars and moto gp as well all the the wash up from last weekend so without further ado mercedes masterclass in texas sorry not texas in mexico so lewis hamilton winning the race uh, but it wasn't enough for him to seal out that sixth world championship that um, he did come into the weekend with the chance of winning uh I kind of needed Valtteri Bottas to to either have a DNF or not score any points to be able to to clinch that one. It would have been his third in a row in Mexico as well, but unfortunately it wasn't the case. But when you looked at the early part of the weekend, you know Mercedes looked like they were on the back foot. You wouldn't have called them to have won the race in the end, but then this is where Mercedes are so brilliant is that they might not have the fastest car at the moment at this stage of the season, but they still find a way to beat the others, you know, Ferrari and Red Bull in particular, even though Red Bull, I guess, didn't have the race pace on their side or the Max Verstappen again, you know, being compromised early in the running. Um, they kind of outfoxed Ferrari in the, the strategy stakes to be able to come and take that unlikely win away. So, um, yeah, not enough for him to win the title. The race itself, a lot of varying strategies. We had Charles Leclerc take the pole position um, after Max Verstappen actually took pole on track but was given a three-place grid penalty for ignoring yellow flags during qualifying. So he kind of shot himself in the foot with that did old Maxi boy because um, he sort of admitted to it in the press conference after qualifying and just seemed his usual self about it, like it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal and... It is a big deal when you don't acknowledge yellow flags and you still keep going fast, um, you know, for safety reasons. So that's why I was given that three three place grid penalty, fell back to fourth. But at the start, you know, it's always crucial in Mexico, leading away down to the first corner. It's like 810 meters from the the start line to the first corner. So Ferrari led away, which was um, 
expected, um, but then off the second row, you had Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen make contact at the first corner, and then by the fifth lap, there was a puncture for, for Verstappen after he tried to make a move on Bottas that didn't go too well, so from there, Verstappen just basically fell out of contention for the race. It was going to be an afternoon of recovery for him, but going into the strategy side of things now so the trigger was pulled early by Alexander Albon who had probably his best race in a Red Bull we say this every weekend because he just keeps going from strength to strength and you know I guess you know you wouldn't want to give him that contract for next year now in in case complacency steps into it but um, he's really he's really doing nothing wrong at the moment to not warrant getting a contract for next year at Red Bull Racing. So, yeah, Albon pulled the strategy trigger early. Charles Leclerc, the race leader, was the one who responded immediately for a switch to the medium tyre. They all started the race on the medium tyre, and that sort of confirmed that they'd be on a two-stop strategy. Lewis Hamilton brought in on lap 24, put on the hard tyre. So they kind of wanted to go for a one-stop strategy at Mercedes and Hamilton basically was left questioning the decision when he was struggling out there on that stint. Um, important to point out too that he didn't have his regular engineer over the weekend. He won't have him again this weekend either in Austin. Uh, Peter Bonington or Bono as he's known. Um, instead there was a, a new pairing I guess for, for the chief engineer side of things for Hamilton. Those two guys have been um, with the team for quite some time and have worked with Hamilton but not in the same capacity as uh, Bono has so Hamilton again I guess like the Hungarian Grand Prix I think where he was chasing Max for the win on a one-stop strategy and kept questioning the decision um, to to switch to that tyre but um, it ultimately paid off because there was nothing that the other guys could do so Hamilton making those hard tyres last for 48 laps uh, which was pretty sensational you know Sebastian Vettel he was able to close the gap to Lewis Hamilton after a um, you know going on the same strategy switching to the hard tyre so did Bottas but I guess ultimately what we all perceive to be a really really exciting end to the race where you have all these cars the top four cars in close proximity um, I guess they couldn't just they couldn't really follow each other. That's basically what I'm getting at, you know, and that's another problem with these cars at points this year where, you know, you want exciting close racing, but they weren't able to get close to each other. Otherwise, you know, you overheat the tyres and um, it wasn't going to work out. So, yeah, it was close at the finish, but no cigar for those guys. It would have been a bit more exciting as it kind of, it kind of built up during the race that tension for the last five or six laps where you would have expected these guys to all be together and then unfortunately it didn't really it didn't really eventuate so um Hamilton 48 laps on that hard tire I think he kind of took or Mercedes took inspiration from Daniel Ricciardo's stint his opening stint on the hard tire and said oh well you know Ricciardo has uh really gone long on those tires in the first stint and put himself in a good position after he started outside the points but um for Hamilton, yeah, he held on 83rd win of the season, four points shy of a, a world championship as well, which, you know, this time out in Austin will definitely happen. But following behind him, I guess, Vettel, second again, Bottas, another podium to add to his uh, add to his tally. 
Charles Leclerc, his race ruined by a second pit stop that was quite slow. Um, bungled stop for him. Same story down at McLaren as well with Lando Norris, unfortunately. Not having one of his tyres put on properly. Uh, was loose and they had to wheel the car back to the pits to, to redo the pit stop and then basically throw him back into circulation and then eventually they just decided to retire him. So Lando, bit of a unfortunate season so far this year, his rookie year, a lot of DNFs which you know have not been his fault but there has been a lot of potential that's been shown too which has been fantastic and great to see as well and unfortunately for McLaren it was probably their worst race of the year you could say because Carlos Sainz also fell out of the points and wasn't really looking very threatening so they had a good qualifying again but just the race didn't really come their way. Back to the Red Bulls now, so Verstappen had a race of recovery, finished in sixth behind teammate Alex Albon, of course, and, you know, what dominated the headlines in the early part of the season was basically um, Pierre Gasly unable to outrace his teammate and um, actually out-qualify him as well, whereas, you know, we're seeing Albon, uh, I think maybe this was the first time we saw Albon finish ahead of, no, actually, last time out in Japan as well, we saw Albon finish ahead of Verstappen purely because of mistakes that have happened for Verstappen early in the race. So, you know, all this talk about Verstappen being invincible at this year and being a lot more mature, there's still some of those little mistakes that are creeping in where, you know, from the yellow flag incident on Saturday to Sunday where you had that first lap coming together with Lewis Hamilton, you know, there is still some kind of... There are some issues that Max still needs to iron out, but, you know, nevertheless, he's had a pretty solid season so far, but... I guess all that talk or suggestion that he'd be going for third in the world championship or potentially even second in the second half of the season, it's kind of fizzled away now where, you know, Charles Leclerc seems the um, the guy to beat in that uh, in that area. So looking elsewhere in the points, so we had um, Sergio Perez, his home race, of course, a lot of hype around that. He came from 11th on the grid to finish 7th, um, equal best finish for... Perez um, at home, holding off Daniel Ricciardo. Ricciardo obviously trying on the last few laps to get past, but sort of locked his brakes and went deep and ended up finishing eighth, which is still a good result for him considering they had a pretty shocking qualifying down at Renault. Um, last, lap, last lap contact between Danny Fiat and Nico Hulkenberg. Um, copped, uh, there was a penalty handed out to Kvyat as a result, 10-second penalty. So Holgenberg was able to hang on to a point that he had scored before and Gasly, of course, finishing in ninth. So still some points for Toro Rosso, but not the result that uh, Kafiat would have wanted either. So when you look at the constructor points now, um, in, especially in that midfield battle, so even though McLaren didn't score any points on this occasion, they still have that sizable lead over Renault, but Renault have got to look to the likes of Red Bull, um, sorry, Toro Rosso and Racing Point um, to, to be able to hang on to fifth where they are at the moment. So the other two teams only nine points behind them now. So And Renault have done quite well in the past in Texas, so... They could be on for some good points there, but yeah, only nine points between Torosso, Racing Point, and Renault. Reason I haven't mentioned anything about Alpha or Haas or Ferrari, sorry, or Williams is that they had pretty terrible races again. Um, it's unfortunate. Robert Kubitzer again at Williams having problems with his car. It's starting to get a bit acrimonious between those parties. Um, kind of in the same way as when. 
you had Pastor Maldonado in 2013 accusing Williams of sabotage on his car, you know, and that was obviously the last year of his deal there, and he was on the outer at the end of the season, but, you know, it's sad for a driver like Kubica to, to have to be put into that same situation as well. Don't know what's going on down there at Williams, but um, they'll be just hoping for the year to be over soon, and there's only, what, three races to go anyway, so it's it's not too far from that now either let's get straight into texas then so the equation is hamilton just needs to outscore bottas by four points which shouldn't be too difficult unless bottas wins the race or finishes ahead of hamilton just so hamilton gets that sixth title but when you look at the numbers and how well hamilton's done here in the past then you can't really go past hamilton having a great race because, you know, he's just got this affinity with the United States. I mean, he's a five-time winner in Austin alone. Let's not, you know, include the win that he had at the um, old Indianapolis track, uh, the Brickyard, back when they were still racing there. So in, in Austin alone, Hamilton's won five times, including four in a row from 2014 when we switched to the hybrid era. Last year, of course, it was Kimi Raikkonen who won the race. He had the better strategy with Ferrari, famous win that, great race, it was good to see uh, Kimi win <laughs> for first time in ages, you know, 2013, the last time at the Australian Grand Prix, so that was one of my favourite memories, I've got to say, last year, but on the subject of Ferrari, they still lack race pace, which is concerning, so especially on the medium and hard tyre, so even if they come out and they win qualifying, they, they're on pole position, lock out the front row, it's Staying ahead, you know, make sure that Mercedes don't outfox them in the uh, pit stops and then they'll be fine. So that's what happened again in um, in Mexico and they just didn't have the race pace or they were just not able to follow the Mercedes of Hamilton ahead to be able to win and it doesn't help either when Leclerc has a bungled pit stop either. So yeah, you know, you could put Ferrari down to win the race but it's, it's really difficult when they can't really... Um, They've just got to be ahead when it comes to strategy and make sure that they don't lose out in the pit stops. As I said earlier as well, Renault have had strong races here in the past. Last year, they had both cars in the points. Racing point two, uh, Sergio Perez goes pretty cool around here as well. So don't discount them for some points results, especially when they're fighting for that fifth place in the Constructors' Championship. Toro Rosso as well. Um, it was one of Brendan Hartley's better races last year when he was um, when he was still with the team. So points could be on the cards for Kvyat and Gasly as well in this race. And McLaren, you know, like it was their worst race in Mexico. They can totally rebound this weekend in Austin. They they can also say that they've previously won this race too in the recent past, back in 2012, obviously with Lewis Hamilton, which was the first race held at the uh, Circuit of the Americas. So, you know, they've got that little stat that no one could take away from them as well. But, um, you know, points is all you can expect from those guys this weekend. So, yeah, you don't want them to kind of plateau for the year. They need to keep building. And, yeah, hopefully Mexico was just an anomaly so that's all from the F1 side of things. Um, can't wait for the race, of course, early Monday morning again. It wasn't too bad, Mexico waking up for that one and then the, the day itself um, being a long one. In the end, um, lucky we've got this uh, public holiday that we all celebrate here on Tuesday next week for, for horse racing, of all things, you know. I mean, 
don't get me started about horse racing. I could go on about how it is a very stupid sport, if you want to call it a sport. Um, but let's not do that. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be here for, for quite some time. But um, I'm glad there's plenty of people out there who agree with me and um, on horse racing. So I'll happily take the day off the public holiday for it, but I don't agree with, with the sport itself and you know all the money that's involved in it. It's it's pretty stupid. At least Formula One can pride itself on being, you know, going for a what do you call it? Environmental. It's environmentally conscious in that you know they're using hybrid engines, fifty percent thermal efficiency, all that sort of thing. So if you want to talk about that sort of thing, then yeah, let's let we can have this discussion another time. But anyway, let's go over to supercars now, which probably isn't the most environmentally efficient thing in the world, but still very exciting to watch. So the Gold Coast 600, the second round of the Enduro Cup, it's always an exciting one given that it's a street race. There's two races as well instead of just the one um, having the split Saturday and Sunday. And some people will say they were, they were surprised. Some people will say not surprised. But it was a Triple Eight clean sweep of the weekend. So we had the Triple Eight car ahead of the 97 car in the first race on Saturday and then on Sunday it was um, the 97 car finishing ahead of Triple Eight so you know they basically dominated the whole weekend um, apart from qualifying and apart from the first qualifying and then it was the second qualifying that they they did really well um, first race on Saturday uh, the number 17 the Shell V power car was on pole uh, with Scott McLaughlin, thanks to him, and then Alex Premer starting the car, unfortunately gets passed by Craig Lowndes at the start, and then since then, um, you know, the 97 car also got ahead on strategy, so it left um, Shell V Power just collecting a podium on the day in the first race, and uh, Scott McLaughlin and Alex Premer adding to their points tally for the year. But yeah, it was a masterclass from Triple Eight. So another win for Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes. Good to see those two win as a pair again. You know, the last time obviously was Bathurst a few um, back in 2008. But um, for those guys, an important win. And then on Sunday, it was the reverse. So you had Shane Van Gisberg and Garth Tander winning over Lowndes and Wincup. And there was a bit of controversy actually on Saturday because um, there was some team orders that were sent out to the 97 car saying not to pass triple eight so a few people blowing up about that and how is that sportsmanlike and everything in the wake of what's happened at Bathurst with um the team orders to Fabian Coulthard to hold up the pack two different kettle of fish I know team orders is not everyone's pop the most cup uh, most popular cup of tea in motorsport but when, you know, team gives an instruction for one car to not pass the other car or one car to pass the other car as long as it's within the team, that seems to be a bit more acceptable than, you know, giving an instruction to hold up the entire grid behind you under a safety car, you know. But at the same time, I don't see it as being very sporting, in, you know, in general. If 97 had the better pace, it would have been to see... It would have been better for them to... To have one if they could pass the um, wind cup car that is if they couldn't then that's that's that it's not been decided by the team getting on the radio and saying look you can pass or you can't pass that sort of thing so that was that then you had um the sunday race where yeah van gisberg and 
ended up winning with Garth Tander, first win for those guys as a combination, and they've been on the podium for each of the three races so far in the Enduro Cup, so they lead the standings there. And, you know, you would have thought that Garth Tander slotting into the uh, Red Bull car would have been quick straight off the bat, and he's proved that exactly. Same with Lowndes in the Triple Eight car with uh, Wind Cup, so they've clearly got the best pairings on the grid, and it's come to fruition already this weekend, or last weekend, I should say, with the results that they scored. And then the Sunday race, we had David Reynolds and Luke Yulden on the podium, uh, making it a hold on 1-2-3, which for the first time this year, believe it or not, so given all the domination we've had from the Mustang in 2019, it was the first time um, over the weekend in race 27 at on the Gold Coast that we had three Holdens on the podium together so great job from the Erebus guys and it would, it would have been good for their confidence too after they had a pretty terrible weekend in Bathurst and started basically by the crash that Yulden had and Yulden himself said that it was good um, it was a good reminder and a good boost that podium to get them back uh, up in the in the good books for Sandown. For Triple Eight though it was a pretty key weekend because when you look at the team's championship that they're fighting for at the moment, it's still very much in play. So you talk about Scott McLaughlin and how he's still got this massive lead in the championship even after he was wiped out um, for Sunday and didn't wasn't able to compete in the race. I'll talk about that a bit later. The points that Triple Eight accrued over the weekend means that there is only 132 points between them and Shell V Power in the team's championship. So when you look at the way to the penalty that they got at Bathurst now, it kind of makes sense where they only stripped 300 points from DGR Team Penske um, as a result of the hearing over the team orders saga. Um, and then, of course, having a bad weekend, you know, Fabian Coulthard and Tony Dalboto, I think they finished 9th and 11th over the weekend. McLaughlin and Prema had the podium, but then on Sunday scored zero points as a result of not being able to race. And then when Triple Eight um, and the Red Bull cars, they score maximum points, this is what happens. So 132 points is very much doable, you could say, for Triple Eight. You know, they've clearly had the stronger cars. Clearly, clearly the benefactors of these aero changes that they've made recently, you know, after the, well, heading into the Pukekohe New Zealand round before the Enduro Cup started. So <laughs> that's going to that's gonna really ignite some discussions and some debates, I'm sure, at the end of the year. I mean, you could say on, on merit that Shell V-Power kind of, that was the big penalty for them after Bathurst was not being able to win the team's championship. But then if that didn't happen, for example, then it would be quite different. But then again, they wouldn't have lost that 300 points either. So, And I explained this last week as well, how important um, the team's championship is. Not only it's, is it another trophy and also, I guess, the culmination of a hard year's work, you know, work, a year's worth of hard work, I should say, a year's worth of hard... Uh, a year's worth of hard work for the team. It also determines who gets the number one garage next year in the pit lane. So for pit stops, it's quite crucial having, you know, you can have a long entry, but a shorter exit out of the pits is quite crucial with um, with how track positioning and all that sort of stuff is concerned. So, you know, the better teams, they always get the, the pointier end of pit lane. They get those better garages where the... Uh, the teams that don't finish as high up in that championship 
don't get those positions. So it's quite crucial in that sense. And then, you know, we've got 600 points still on offer. you got to say, Sandown, you get 300 points for the win um, next weekend. Not this weekend. Kind of excited for next weekend for Sandown, as always. And Triple Eight last year, they had a 1-2-3 finish. So they're clearly the form team when it comes to Sandown. But we'll see how everyone else reacts. And then, of course, Newcastle, where anything can happen. And it's two races worth 150 points each. So... Quite crucial this these final two rounds, and if it is going to be Shelby Power's year to you know win Bathurst to win the drivers championship, then won the manufacturers championship with Ford to get that teams championship in there as well. It'll be a unique feat given that they did lose three hundred points for Bathurst and now are closing uh, being closed in on by Triple Eight. Next point. Uh, the key wipeouts, I guess, and I already mentioned it, Scott McLaughlin was uh, written off, his car was written off in the uh, qualifying for race 27. It was good to see him uninjured, even though he had to go off to hospital, get some scans done. Um, he was fearing that he might have hemorrhaged his brain, which wouldn't have been, um, which would have been terrible. But he's fine, which is good to see. He was able to walk away from it. And a nice bit of sh- sportsmanship as well, because... Um, Shane Van Gisbergen, even though they're rivals on the track, he stopped the car quickly and raced over to the the McLaughlin wreck to try and help his uh, compatriot out of the car. So, you know, it goes to show you that while they might be bitter rivals on track, that um, there is still a human and a sportsman side to things as well, that um, they do care for each other, as do all the drivers for each other, which is good to see. So, you know, I'm sure that's not in the Russell Ingle book of sportsmanship, but... um, it is for everyone else. Uh, so, yeah, good to see McLaughlin fine. It was a 43G impact as well, which was would have been really, really nasty. But as a result, it rode off the car. They couldn't race on Sunday, and that's uh, where those zero points came from. And then we also lost Chaz Mostert in uh, the top 10 shootout for race 26. So he was actually on provisional pole from the session before. And then when it came to his lap in the shootout, he binned the car as well. Uh, and unfortunately, he had to miss both races along with his co-driver, James Moffat. So those guys with big rebuilds on their hands ahead of the Sandown 500 next weekend. But um, they'll have the cars ready, which is good. It was just good to see that the drivers were unharmed and there was no serious damage on the uh, the driver's side of things. Whereas, you know, the cars, you can easily replace them, um, rebuild them, whatever. Especially with big teams like Tickford and Shell V Power. Looking forward to seeing them uh, back. In, looking forward to seeing them back at Sandown um, in a couple of weeks' time and Retro Round too. I'll talk a bit about that in a sec. Just quickly, while we're still on Gold Coast, um, so some key results as well, top ten wise for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. They had a great weekend, possibly their best weekend of the year. You could say they normally go pretty well around the streets of Surface Paradise. Uh, Scott Pye and Warren Luff claiming dual top five uh, finishes across both races. And then, of course, James Courtney, Jack Perkins off the back of their podium in Bathurst had a good weekend as well. So they were outside the 10 for one of the races. And then in the Sunday race, they finished inside the top 10. And then also the Tickford cars as well. You know, while they didn't get a podium and also they were missing Mostert and Moffat, um, they had top 10 results with, you know, Cameron Waters, Michael Caruso, they were probably the best car of that stable that weekend. But then, you know, the Davison brothers in the Milwaukee car and also Lee Holdsworth and Thomas Randall have had a um, 
good combination for some good results too. And, you know, it's been, you've got to say, you know, fear, you've got to feel a little bit for Lee Holdsworth in particular. He's the only driver in that stable who's not yet had a podium this year. And a podium this weekend at the Gold Coast would have been great. Um, who knows how it'll be at Sandown because Tickford haven't really, since 2015, where they had a 1-2 that race, they've not really had a... Um, a solid run at Sandown, so it'll be good, good to see those guys up there for Sandown in particular. And speaking of Sandown, yeah, you know, retro round, already exciting to see some retro liveries. Of course, the um, super cheap auto car, they've already showed off that livery. It's a tribute to one of the Alan Moffat Ford Mustangs from the past that he raced um, in the Australian Touring Car Championship. And I'm sure there'll be more to come. They're always so exciting uh, when they do do it and makes it some good photos as well, When um, I, especially when I take my camera down to Sandown. Some news as well about Richie Stanaway. So, unfortunately, he was stood down on the Sunday by Gary Rogers Motorsport, signing disciplinary reasons because he didn't come to an autograph signing. So, they've confirmed that he will be racing in Sandown, which is good. I'm a big fan of Richie's, and, you know, it was great seeing him win at Sandown a few years ago with Cam Waters, and, you know, on the podium again at the Gold Coast, but then since he's come full-time, and um, as a solo driver, it's just not been really great for him, unfortunately, and, you know, I'd like to see him still in the sport, and also in a good, with a good drive, but, um, you know, he's, he's a guy who's had such drives around the world you know he's been a uh, gp2 race winner he's also you know winner in uh, the gte pro class for the wec for aston martin as well so he's got a lot of talent but just yeah he's not really had the the rub of the green in supercars and i think people just need to get behind him give him a bit more support as shane van gisbergen said and um maybe just maybe he might uh, he might come good so that'll be good to see if Richie gets a drive next year they were talking potentially about him and Walkinshaw and Dreddy United whether WAU go for a whole new lineup you know with Chaz Mostert and Stanaway there I'm still keeping my fingers crossed for Scott Pye because um, we're, we're big fans of Scott Pye got a friend who's a very big fan of Scott Pye as well and um, also Walkinshaw so hoping that he stays at that team so you know, we're going to keep our fingers crossed. That's it for supercars then. Let's wrap things up with MotoGP and the Australian Grand Prix over the weekend as well. As I said, very much a, a fiesta of racing for me last weekend um, with F1 supercars and MotoGP on all together. Uh, strong wins. Strong wins cancelled qualifying um, on the Saturday and that was all done on Sunday for all three classes Maverick Vinales on pole position there was three Yamahas in the top four including Valentino Rossi and I can attest for the strong wins because Saturday uh, while I was at work it was quite blustery you know and even the concrete slab that um, holds our flag or shop banner market banner whatever you want to call it at the front of our shop was almost close to blowing away the concrete slab actually broke and the flag was like you know a few hundred like 10 meters away in the other direction so it was that bad the winds um on over the weekend and no wonder that they had to cancel moto gp moto 2 moto 3 qualifying so that was a story of qualifying on sunday then basically a moto 3 style race ensued as i predicted because phillip island they always have these tight close battles even in moto gp 
and it was sad because my tip for the race, um, or for the weekend, I should say, Fabio Quattararo crashed out on the first lap with Danilo Petrucci. So those guys out um, not too long after the race started. We had Valentino Rossi leading the early stages, which was so good to see him leading a race after what year he's had. But unfortunately, tyre wear saw him drop away. We saw Jack Miller rise up as well and get within the pack. Uh, Cal Crutchlow, Mark Marquez, Maverick Vinales all in that lead battle. Uh, but then it became a two-horse race with uh, Cal falling away later in the race. Maverick Vinales was the leader. Mark Marquez, though, comes and passes him on the final lap. So you'd think that Marquez was just biding his time. Passes, uh, <laughs> sorry, passes Vinales down the main straight, heading into the first corner, just blast pass, and then it was basically a final desperate dash to the finish line in the final sector. Um, Maverick crashes out at the MG corner. He had to go for a move. He didn't want to finish second. He wanted to win the race. But um, coming over Lukey Heights, breaking hard into MG corner, Maverick just crashed out while trying to pass Marquez and unfortunately out of the race. And then Marquez went on to win his 55th Premier Class victory, of course, and passing Mick Dewan's record, of course, on Mick Dewan's home soil. You know, he took the record off Mick for being Honda's most successful rider um, when he won the championship earlier this year, uh, back at the Thai Grand Prix. But yeah, Mark Marquez is now third all-time on the list of Premier Class winners, you know, behind Giacomo Agostini and um, Valentino Rossi himself. So, and I think that's five straight wins for Marquez as well. So he's really, you know, since coming back from the the summer break and then of course being mugged <laughs> in those few races by Rins Davizioso and Vinales he has uh, really nailed it in since Aragon and um, has won five straight and there's two races to go this year with uh, Malaysia and then Valencia coming up but um, yeah finishing on the podium Cal Crutchlow, he got a podium, which is good to see, his third podium of the season, and when you look back, of course, last year, uh, Cal missed the race because he had a crash during practice that put him in hospital, so 12 months on, what a good result for Cal, and then, of course, on the podium, no way, no better way to say it, but we're all chanting, Viva Miller, Viva Miller, Uh, Jack Miller on the podium, the Aussie, first Aussie to be on the podium since Casey Stoner back in 2012 and he took third so what a result for Jack Miller and that would have sent everyone into a frenzy as well to have him there um, in the premier class and being top to caddy again which is a great result and remember I said last week that he's got that little battle going with Quattararo for the um, top independent rider well, he has actually, as a result, closed the gap to 22 points to Quattararo now with two races to go. So that being said, I still think Fabio is definitely a um, a shot at winning um, a race this year if he can stay on his bike and doesn't get mugged by Marc Marquez. And I guess uh, the crash in Australia would have made him quite filthy as well. So don't count uh, Quattararo out from winning a race this year. I certainly hope he does. He's just been a sensation to watch. And of course, next year, can he challenge Marc Marquez for the championship? You know, on a on a satellite, 
Yamaha bike, which seems to have had the measure of the factory Yamahas this year. But, you know, you want to see all of them up there. You want to see Vinales up there. You want to see Valentino as well in there, even though I don't think Valentino can challenge for another championship. But it would just be nice to see him winning races. And, of course, you know, the Ducati guys as well. And Miller really has been... Um, top Ducati, you could say, last few races. When you look at Davizioso's races, I'm actually looking at the stats now from um, from Mizano. Davizioso, 10th, 20th in Aragon, 13th in Thailand, 16th in Japan, and then 9th at Phillip Island, whereas Miller, you know, 8th in, sorry, 8th in Mizano, 16th in Aragon, on the podium in Thailand, 6th in Japan, and then, of course, uh, third in oh what am i i've totally bungled this i think i'm looking at the points results sorry that makes no sense yeah uh, just ignore what i said i, I kind of made no sense there i thought these were the the finishing positions but they're actually the points that he scored so no davizioso actually has had a better run than miller but miller's just been more consistent i guess um like in terms of track position being the better placed Ducati, so that's really good to see. Miller in Thailand was second in qualif uh, scored two points. Oh, God, just just ignore me now. I'm I'm, I'm rambling again. But yeah, no, um, eager to see this MotoGP season finish now because the championship's over. I want to see what's going to happen next year as far as. Um, you know, I want to see what happens next year as far as who could challenge Mark Marquez if anyone can, and um, whether it can be <coughs> <coughs> sorry, whether it can be one of the Yamahas. God, this is going to be a very abrupt ending to this one. And I think on that note, that's probably it for this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course, to talk all about the Austin GP and. Sandown as well coming up next weekend which will be very exciting so thanks for joining me this week for talking about all this stuff and um yeah i've got to take a little bit of a break give the vocal cords a rest and i'll be back next week thanks guys see ya